0: there anything I'm eating or not getting enough of like am I deficient in something or is there something that I'm eating constantly that might be aggravating it and every single doctor said no. They said the three things they said diet can't cause it, diet can't cure it and diet can't help it. Um, It was like a script that they were given.
1: This is episode number 42 with the New York Times bestselling author of Against All Grain, Danielle Walker. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, medical student and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. I am very excited to share this conversation with you that I had with Danielle Walker, who's a blogger and New York Times bestselling author of the cookbook Against All Grain. I'd been following Danielle for some time before we finally met a couple of months ago at the Mind Body Green Revitalize Summit. There, we talked over dinner, and she was incredibly genuine and willing to talk about details of her life that most people would like to keep private. But she's seen how sharing some of her own struggles can help others who are suffering as well. In this episode, we discuss some of her struggles, including her diagnosis of ulcerative colitis and autoimmune disease, as well as the loss of her daughter, Ayla, to a rare genetic condition shortly after her birth. We discuss in both of these situations how Danielle had to advocate for herself to ultimately reach the best plan of care, and how she's inspired others to do the same. We also talk about her new holiday cookbook, Celebrations, and the recipe from it that I made over and over again with my family over Thanksgiving. Before we get started, I have a few quick reminders. First, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a five-star rating. You can also head to my website julifouché.com, and enter your email to stay in the loop with the podcast and everything else I'm doing with my bi-weekly newsletter. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at julifouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. If you're interested in training with me, check out my program through Beyond the Whiteboard. This is the actual training that I do now, five days a week, one hour per day, scheduled out for you minute by minute from warm-up to cool-down. We also have a train-on-the-go program that's perfect for helping you get your workouts in on vacation or during a busy week at home. For more info or to try the programs out yourself, visit beyondthewhiteboard.com slash juliefouchet. I also have some more exciting news this week. Pure Pharma, which is one of my longtime sponsors, has launched a subscription program that's available worldwide. I love this option because it allows you to choose which of their products you use, whether it's the protein powder, fish oil, magnesium, vitamin D, or probiotics, and how much and how frequently you'd like them shipped so you never miss a dose. I've been using Pure Pharma's products myself for years, and I've yet to find anything cleaner or more thoroughly tested and verified on the market. For a 20% discount on your first month and a loyalty program that's customized by me, you can visit www.purepharma.com forward slash share forward slash Julie. You can also hear more from the founders of Pure Pharma, Oliver and Julius, on their approach to nutrition in episode number 38 of Pursuing Health. Finally, please remember that although I'm nearing graduation from medical school, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, let's get started here with episode number 42 of Pursuing Health featuring Danielle Walker. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. I'm very excited to be joined today by Danielle Walker of Against All Grain. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I know you just finished your book tour for your new book, Celebrations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually in Florida right now visiting my parents, and oh. I had—I have my book at home. I've been looking through it, and then as soon as my mom found out I was interviewing you, she of course yeah. had to get her own. So we have oh. our copy down here, and we've been having That's so much so fun looking America. at it. <laughs> yeah, and we—we um, we, so far I think. Two days this week, we've made the pumpkin spice lattes in the morning, and they've been a huge hit. Right. So, <laughs> Awesome. I need to
0: make a batch of that, actually. It's like the hardest part is you don't really get time to make your own recipes, and people <laughs> post it all, and you're like, oh, that was so good. I haven't had it in like a year, so that's a good one. I need to like add that to my list.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love the fact that you put all the coffee drinks in there, too, because those are always yeah difficult to refine and figure out how to make on your own.
0: Yeah, they are, and they just—they're not always. They're sometimes can be too sweet or not sweet enough because without those, all those artificial ingredients. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I use um, I use those as much as I can. But I always keep. Have you heard of Nut Pods? Those like creamers. I have. The,
1: yeah, we've I tried those. One of those that. in my
0: fridge, just because it's like a decent alternative when I don't have time to make my own.
1: But, right. Yeah. Yeah. That well,
0: that's tough. awesome that your parents are on board. I saw a picture of <laughs> your. Family, it's like the most healthy family I think I have ever seen. It's amazing. It's so awesome to have that support.
1: It is fun, actually. I have my husband's family is here too visiting, so we all really get along, and they all love. I mean, they all love paleo. My my aunt and my mom are actually both have celiac disease, so that was actually kind of the start for all of us to even think about going grain free, and then since then, a lot of us have started eating more paleo, and it's been yeah it's been really fun. So it's cool that we can all share that together.
0: It's huge. It's huge. I hear, I just posted actually this morning about that, but it's, I hear from people so much when they write in to ask questions just about how to get their family on board. And Mm -hmm. mine has always just been really supportive. I mean, they questioned it for a while at first (laughs) and definitely didn't jump on board and they're still not a hundred percent, but my, like my in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving for us this Mm -hmm. week and they're making everything from celebrations. My father-in-law has been like texting me pictures along the way of his (laughs) prep and asking questions and stuff. And so it's so nice to have that support, especially with family and around holidays too. It's can be really isolating if you have to eat that way and nobody around you is.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And that's so cool that He's making all the recipes so you can enjoy them from, yeah, <laughs> without having to make I them, because I'm sure you've made them it's so many so times. Great. <laughs> it's so nice.
0: Yeah, people always like, oh, don't you want to cook? I'm like, well, I love to cook, but it's very nice to be hosted every sure. once in a while when all you do is cook all day long for your job. So <laughs> I'm bringing a couple things, but they're doing all the main stuff, and I'm very happy to know that I can go and eat everything and not have to worry about it.
1: That's amazing. Cool. Well, yeah. I want to I talk more about the book later, but yeah, I, I was hoping we could maybe start out with some of the background And how this all began for you, because I know, like many people, it started with your own personal health story. And for you, it started when you were relatively young, like right after college, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, I was 22. uh, And I just graduated like couple months before Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed, but started having some symptoms pretty quickly after like a few weeks. Um, so my husband and I were engaged. We were getting married that summer and we both graduated from college and moved back to our hometown Mm -hmm. and then he started law school. So there was a lot going on, but, um, it came on overnight and I just started having really bad digestive symptoms and a lot of fatigue and, Mm -hmm. um, I went through, gosh, like five different major specialists, um, GI doctors Mm -hmm. in the San Francisco area and wasn't getting diagnosed. And then finally, we um, kind of demanded a colonoscopy after just reading some stuff online and kind of figuring out (laughs) and connecting the dots. um, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it came out of nowhere and I was super young and it was very frightening. and I didn't get any information about it which was the hardest part from the doctors they just mm-hmm. didn't really talk to me about the disease and how to manage it and what it actually was that you know like my immune system was actually attacking my own colon and um and so I just was like pretty lost and kind of just went out the door with a bunch of prescriptions so mm-hmm. I Spent a lot of years really, really sick, um, and on a lot of high, high doses of meds that were pretty much only making things worse, mm-hmm. um, and adding a slew of other um, uh, of other side effects and things that just made my life pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I was pretty incapacitated um, and not living a very like full, vibrant, healthy life at at, at twenty two.
1: Right. That's that's scary to imagine at such a young age and then going yeah. through so many transitions and then on top of that having this huge change in your health status and having to figure yeah. it out without getting much help.
0: Yeah, it was. It was um a lot of internet reading, which is as good and bad. You go down into <laughs> a lot of rabbit trails oh, when you yeah. start reading stuff on the internet. You like self-diagnosed yourself with a billion things. I definitely thought I had colon cancer quite a few times, which actually one of the doctors originally said I might, which wow. was so far off. Um, but I, yeah, I went on the, you know, the doomsday trail quite a few times online. Um, but it did help though, and that's where I actually came across diet. Um, okay. None of the doctors talked to me about diet. And as I was just researching and reading chat boards, um, which kind of were the big thing back then, you know, mm-hmm. all those different like medical chat boards, uh, I was seeing some people saying that grain free, dairy free specifically, um, the specific carbohydrate diet and the gaps diet okay. were helping Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and celiac. Um, and so that was kind of my first glimpse that, Hey, this could actually possibly work. And even before that I was asking my doctors, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't have any background in nutrition whatsoever I mean I know so much more now than I did back then I ate any and everything that I wanted to growing up and Uh stayed slim and stayed fine and never felt any symptoms of anything I mean like white flour and bread and sugar and obviously that all probably contributed to (laughs) my ultimate diagnosis but I didn't feel any of the effects um immediately. Um, but I still asked them, I just said, Is there anything I'm eating or not getting enough of? Like am I deficient in something, or is there something that I'm eating constantly that might be aggravating it? And mm-hmm. every single doctor said no. They said the three things. They said diet can't cause it, diet can't cure it, and diet can't help it. Wow. Um it was just like a script that they were given in like their gastroenterology classes or something. Um and so I was kinda defeated at first that I was like, All right, well I trust these doctors, I mean they've studied the gut, and you know they they understand this that system, mm-hmm. and so if they're saying it doesn't help, then I'm not going to try it. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I started reading some stories of real people that had used it and tried it, I kind of started dabbling in it a little bit, and um, just it took a while, quite, quite a few years actually, more for me because I just had a hard time committing to it. Right. Uh, but I tried kind of different things. I went like through phases. I tried cutting out gluten at first, and saw a little bit of an improvement, but not enough to make me convinced that it was going to help, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and went off of just like everything white for a while, like no white flour, no white sugar. Um, and that didn't really do much like all whole grains. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: and then finally, when I tried grain free and, um, mostly dairy free, mostly just like lactose free is when I saw a pretty big improvement. Um, and that's kind of what started my journey to researching and finding out more.
1: Wow. Wow. So what was yeah. there? A, it sounds like it was maybe just a series of events and finally getting to the point where you felt like enough was enough and you were going to try it. But was there a specific yeah. point in time where you felt like you made that switch in your head of, okay, I am actually going to go for this and try it and see what happens?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So it was quite a few years of me like kicking my feet and <laughs> stomping my feet of <laughs> not wanting to do it, honestly. Um, I've just kind of half not believing it would work and then half just not wanting to make such a huge transition um, Mm -hmm. and giving up all the foods that I loved. But um, it was when I had, so I have, I have two boys now, but my, uh, when my oldest Mm -hmm. was nine months old, I had one of the worst flare ups um, Mm -hmm. of my life. And I was in the hospital for, I think almost like two weeks. um, And then when I got home, I was pretty much bedridden for a few months where I just couldn't like, get up and down the stairs and I couldn't take care of him. I couldn't, I was too weak to like pick him up from his crib and I had to stop nursing and then they wouldn't let me come or they wouldn't let him come to the hospital to visit me because they were afraid he'd get some, not from me because it's not contagious, but something, you know, from the hospital. Right. And so that was my point. Um, I had seen it, I had seen it work enough that I knew that it could at least help and mm-hmm. me not, you know, fix it completely, but I knew that it could at least give me a better way of life. Mm-hmm. And. So, when it affected him, was kind of my point of saying, okay, I have to do this for not for me anymore, but for him Um, and for my husband. He was, my gosh, just taking on so much more. He was working full time and finishing law school and taking care of a nine month old um, and doing. you know, and trying to take care of me. It was like managing my doctors and trying to, you know, manage all of my medications and supplements and appointments. And, um, that was kind of that point where I just said, okay, this is no longer just about me and I'm not the only one suffering. It's everybody that's around me too. My in-laws, my my parents that were jumping in and helping, you know, Mm -hmm. with baby and, um, cooking food for us and just all of the people that were being affected by me not making uh, decision to try to change it. Um, and that was kind of that point. And ever since then, I never looked back. I mean, I'm not perfect and I've still had little flare ups here and there if I'm not careful enough, but, um, I haven't been hospitalized since that point, which was in 2010.
1: Um,
0: and I was in the hospital a few times a year prior to that. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of the big, the big shift for me. And that's what I always tell people. I mean, people always are looking for how to commit and Mm -hmm. it's such a hard, answer to give people. I can't say, you know, I want to just be like, just do it. Right. <laughs> um, but it's hard and it's not an easy thing, but I just say, you have to make the decision for yourself. I mean, people gave me books and they gave me, you know, all sorts of websites and podcasts and things to listen to. But I think I was so sick and just so overwhelmed at the time that people telling me to do it, wasn't going to mm-hmm. make me do it. It had to be my own, thing in my own like heart and head that made me really commit. Um, and that made me stick to it. Cause I think you can do things, you know, because people are telling you to, or you feel like you need to, but you don't normally stick to it and really make it sustainable in a lifestyle. But when it's something that you've like wholeheartedly believed in and committed to, I think mm-hmm. that's when it kind of can become more of a lifestyle. So yeah, that was definitely the, that point for me.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> so my life my light bulb moment. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, Once you started making some of those changes and you talked about going through a few different phases and trying different, Mm -hmm. pulling out different foods, and obviously every person has to kind of go through that phase of experimentation for themselves to figure it out. Um, What were some of the changes that you noticed along the way until you got to sort of your new baseline?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, so when I got out of the hospital after that time, I went and saw a naturopath and we did an elimination diet um, and it ended up looking pretty similar to like an AIP autoimmune protocol type of a diet. And that was just based on my tests and what I needed to cut out mm-hmm. for my body. <clears throat> um, but within, I always mess up the times, but it was very drastic. Like within 24 to 48 hours, my symptoms of like my digestive mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. Um, decreased 75%, which was wow. huge. Wow. Um, and especially when you're do it when you have something like UC or Crohn's, like it's very measured by you know all of that digestive stuff, and it's sure. very, um, it's it's like it's it's very obvious. I think I know mm-hmm. some people it takes a little bit longer, but those things it's, it was very tangible for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so and what did you long think? I guess after forty eight hours, your symptoms are suddenly. <laughs> better. We were like, why did I wait so long? That's
0: exactly my sentiment. And I, that's what I tell people. I'm like, I wish that I wouldn't have wasted like four years of my life, um, going back and forth and not committing and trying other things. And Mm -hmm. that's when I started my blog was just to try to tell people and spread the message so that less people had to suffer or more, yeah, less people had to suffer um, mm-hmm. as long as I did. And, and you know, maybe that if you're newly diagnosed and you jump online, then this is what you find immediately as opposed to going down all of the, you know, trails that I did. And I was on a yeah. hundred milligrams of prednisone at one point and was signed up to do Remicade, um, which like cuts your entire immune system. It's an infusion drug that's just awful and has terrible side effects. And um, then was talking about, you know, getting a portion of my colon removed. And so, I think um, my goal was just to always try to share that message that if anybody could avoid any of that stuff or just the time spent trying to figure it all out, you know, Um, and of course, everybody's different and I think, I, I think everybody has different nuances on what they can and can't tolerate,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but at least if there's a starting point, you know, for people. But yeah, it was uh, it was a frustrating, but also like a kind of relief, you know, it was like, I was frustrated that I hadn't tried it before, but then this relief of like, okay, I found something that could actually work, okay. um, which was nice and a good feeling to feel like this could be something I could live with, you know, for the rest of my life, so.
1: That's amazing. And you said you were on? Yeah a lot of medications before, are you yeah. still using them or how do you use them in conjunction with your diet now?
0: Yeah. So the steroids I've been off of now for Six, seven, six years. Wow. Um, it took. I had to wean off of them. Obviously, a hundred milligrams. You have to go off of it. I think it took like almost a year to get off of them because mm-hmm. it was just such a high dose. Um, and then I have been on and off. There's this one that's called misalamine, which you're probably yes. familiar with. Lealda, um, is the one I'm on, and it's an anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a glorified Advil, which I wouldn't suggest taking all the time. But the side effects for it are pretty much nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not convinced that it actually does anything for me because I was on it for so many years when I was sick um, and it didn't ever keep me from having flare ups and it didn't ever make the flare ups less. Um, but I just recently had a flare actually, um, after the birth of my youngest son. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just something that I could not get back from. So, uh, with I'm working with a functional medicine doctor. So with her, we went back on it just to try to do everything we possibly could. So I'm going to work on getting off of that one again, to be honest. Um, I'm not anti medications at all. Um, I think that they really can work hand in hand, especially with diet, but -hmm. this one in particular, I'm just like, I feel like it's kind of a waste, (laughs) but it's the only one that I'm on, um, as of now, but I'm on a lot of supplements. So I do a lot of stuff to help inflammation and, um, to help gut health and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I'm, you know, I mean, I think people sometimes look at supplements and think that they're Mm-hmm. better than medications which they're kind of similar i mean there's definitely the goods and the bads of both sure. um but i do do stuff to help support i mean the diet is huge but mm-hmm. um i don't think it's enough on its own to help support my my digestive system and also just the inflammation and and things like that so yeah that's kind of what i'm on right now but
1: that's awesome and i love that yeah. about functional medicine is that it is about Okay, getting to the root cause of the problem, but also yes. being able to use the best of of medications and what modern medicine right. has to offer in the appropriate right. way, and then yes. um eventually, you know with the eventual goal that you won't need it or that right. maybe you need the smallest dose possible in order to help you live your life the best you can
0: exactly yeah that's and that's our goal or my goal with my with the one I'm seeing now, just to yeah, and I'm not you know I think um I went through a phase where I felt like I was a failure if I was on anything at all. Um, because in the paleo community, there can be kind of that, mindset and kind of the, you know, feeling that if you're on medication, then you're not doing well enough eating, you know, or whatever it is. And yeah. I realized that if it works hand in hand and it's keeping me healthy and there's no side effects and you know, it's not one of the major drugs that I was on that was just causing my life to be terrible, then mm-hmm. it's okay. And I tell people that too, because I think so many people, and I did it like without doctor's help. I cut out a couple of my medications and ended up not doing well at all because Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing and my body was dependent on them and I wasn't coming in and supporting, you know, in ways that the medications were and that I was lacking. And so I just tell people, I think it's so important to work with a practitioner Mm -hmm. to do that if that's what your goal is. Um, but not to rush either. You know, I'm like, I think it takes a while. I mean, I, like I said, I switched my diet, but was still on the steroids for a long time because it was just, I was used to being on them and I didn't, you know, want to go off too quickly, and. I think people sometimes jump to it too quickly and then they don't see the results that they're wanting to. And I think it's definitely a dance of like wanting to balance it properly. And, and I think it's important to work with somebody who knows what they're doing too.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think there's no rush. We're trying to do this and have longevity. So, you know, we don't always need to see results in two weeks or a month or even a year. It can be very slow. Yep. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And I was so depleted too on so many things. I was just part of with see is you just don't absorb any nutrients. Mm-hmm. And so I was in such a bad place that it took a long time even just to build back up. I mean, the symptoms decreased, but like right. my body needed a long time to heal and to replenish. And, um, so that was a whole other process too, that I think sometimes people don't look at, you know, and it, it's a, it's definitely a process. It's a journey. Um, and it's continuing journey. So I think it's good to just have those expectations and not, you know, look at people's success stories and think that it's going to happen for you overnight.
1: Sure. Absolutely. And I love you have a picture on your blog of you. I think at one of your maybe your worst moments, you were looking yeah. very malnourished. And then yes. to look at you now or some of your more recent pictures and just how healthy you look, it's amazing to see and to know that at that time you were on so many medications and experiencing so many side effects and now having such yeah. a high quality of life.
0: Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It's, it's a, well, it's something I think I block out a lot. So when I look at the photos, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that I looked like that for years. I just think that, I think that I thought that was my new norm and I just, you know, was ready to just kind of submit to that. But, um, it's pretty incredible to see how far I've come. And even when I've had small flare ups and things over the last few years, they have not been nearly as bad as they used to be. And I'm able to recover from them. And I don't end up looking that terrible. (laughs) Um, I'm still able to kind of, for the most part, go along my life and get it back under control. But um, it's a completely different game than it used to be. So, and I think a lot of that, well, a lot of that's diet, but I also think a lot of that was the medications. I think the medications I was on was making it harder to even recover, which is kind of crazy to say, but it made things so much worse. It was like, they couldn't really differentiate what was the disease and what were the medications causing the problems.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad. I know a lot of people are glad that you've been sharing your story along the way. I think, um, you know, it's amazing to see now how much is out there for people going through similar things and hopefully they do find good advice and are able to make the right steps earlier or, um, at least be empowered to see that other people have done it before them and it's possible. Right,
0: right, exactly. Yeah. It's amazing how many resources are out there now for people. It's so great. I mean, it's, it's really fantastic just how much support you can find online and, any different ailment and disease too, which is nice. You can Google it, you know, and it's like, Mm -hmm. there's somebody that shared their story, which is so great.
1: Right. And on your blog, you also have used that as a way to share about another part of your life, which I know is very heart-wrenching. And when I first read it, it really spoke to me, even though I cannot even imagine what it was like to go through. Um, But you shared about the birth of your daughter, Ayla, um, and then her passing shortly after And a lot of people would try to keep that to themselves. I think it's a very personal thing. But you really felt it was important to share it. And I think you've seen how it's influenced people along the way. Yeah. Why is that so important for you to share that story? And how did it help you maybe with the healing process?
0: Yeah, it was a conscious decision. And we went back and forth. I mean, I was pretty much ready to just kind of keep it. The mm-hmm. secret. But um it's hard first of all when you live a pretty public life and everything is out there already on the internet. I had already announced my pregnancy and you know everybody that followed me knew and so there was gonna be this gap of like what happened. Um and I knew I'd have to at least share something. Um and I think it started more from a place of just wanting her to be remembered honestly as a mom. I think um I've gotten to walk through this journey now with a lot of other women Mm -hmm. um, who've come after me that have had similar experiences. And I think the one sentiment that's always echoed is just that you don't want your child to be forgotten. And so I I think that might've probably, that's probably where it came from. More of a selfish thing of just like, I want the world to know that she was alive and that she was here. and that we were proud of her. Um, And I think that's kind of where it started. But then as I started sharing, I realized just how many people would actually be impacted and touched by her story. And I had no idea at the time that Mm -hmm. it would make such a big impact. Um, And so after the initial kind of sharing of her story, it just started, I started sharing more just because I started getting so many emails from women that had lost children or had had miscarriages or actually really dealing with any loss Um, Mm -hmm. of just getting to feel the freedom to grieve and to remember that person and not feel like it was taboo, which a lot of times when this with stillborns and with genetic diseases and miscarriages, people don't talk about it very much. And it's Mm -hmm. really isolating for a woman who's grieving to not be able to feel like she can be vocal about it and talk to people about it or that it's on making people uncomfortable, you know, if you want to use your child's name or, you know, remember that they were there. And so for me, it just kind of became this thing where I just felt like if her life had to be lost, then I at least could use it in a good way to try to help people. Um, and I had this platform, if you will, you know, Mm -hmm. where sharing her story could reach it. The first time I shared it, I think it was read by over 4 million people. Um, and I would get emails from, gosh, I mean, just this wide array of people, you know, I mean, there was this one woman who wrote in that was dealing with a year of really, really intense postpartum depression and mm-hmm. hadn't been there for her child at all, just because she was so removed. And she wrote in and just said, I just read your story. And I think you just cured my postpartum depression. Wow. Uh, and that, I just you got know, chills. <laughs> I know. Um, I remember reading it and just being like, wow, like the loss of my daughter's life just gave this child back their mom's life. Um, mm-hmm. because she felt grateful that her child was living,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that she was able to reenter and be in that child's life. And you know, that, that, that baby got their mom back. And so there were just lots of stories like that, you know, all different types of things, but, um, lots of stories like that, that just kind of kept me feeling like this is what what I was supposed to do. And it was kind of her legacy Mm -hmm. that I was, um, continuing to share and that her short life was really impacting people that were here and living. And, um, you know, just even as small as just making people hug their kids tighter. I mean, everybody's grateful for their kids, but in the middle of the night when they're screaming and they're not sleeping (laughs) and you know, you're changing diapers and stuff, it's easy to get a little bit resentful and just people's emails of just like, okay, you know, like I'm not, I'm not going to take this for granted. And, you know, just things like that, that were really cool. And then of course the, the major stories of other moms who had lost kids and, um, stories too, of like these women. I mean, there was this one that's always stuck out to me that, um, she was in her like eighties, um, and lost her son like 40 years ago. I mean, it was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And back then, I guess it, it was just kind of, it was just normal that they wouldn't really let them grieve and they wouldn't let them hold them or bury them or anything like that. And, Um, her son got whisked away and she never got to say goodbye or hold him or have a service for him or anything. And so she went through her whole life not talking about him because she thought that she wasn't really supposed to. And she wrote in and just said, like, you've allowed me to finally grieve my son and um, to share him with my family and my other kids that came after him. And she had never mentioned him before. And Mm -hmm. so the freedom, I feel like that it gave people just to publicly share the grief that I was going through and um, that it's okay, And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's can be really good in the healing process to actually go through all of those things, um, really kind of made it worth it for us. But yeah. And, and then amazing. it's become, now it's, <laughs> now it's become even more. I just got off my tour and now there's people that are coming to my blog because they've read her story, but they didn't know my health history. Oh Wow. And then they're stumbling across my health journey and then they're getting healthy and changing their lifestyle because of that, which is really cool that that's like her story is now starting to kind of Mm -hmm. help people switch over to a healthier lifestyle and find healing from other things that they're dealing with, which is not anything I would have ever expected. I kind of just always expected the two stories to stay kind of separate. Um, And so to hear that, that, you know, my mission of helping people change their diets and heal themselves, you know, through food is being furthered because of that too. So it's kind of this continual story that just keeps continuing to be unwoven and makes me really proud to be her mom.
1: So, wow, that is amazing. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing to see how those ripples kind of take effect. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's been, it'll be three years in June. Um, and you know, her story continues to be shared and, touching people's lives. So it's Mm -hmm. great. And I hope it always is that way.
1: (laughs) Wow. Would you mind sharing just a little bit um, more about her story here? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Well, it's, yeah, I can. (laughs) Uh, Most people don't really understand what it is, but so she was diagnosed. um, Well, she kind of was diagnosed um, in the womb. They noticed some issues um, at our, one of our appointments and they can't formally diagnose Uh, her genetic disorder until after birth. Okay. Um, But they thought that she had osteogenesis imperfecta, um, Mm -hmm. OI, which is a form of skeletal dysplasia and um, it causes the bones to just not form properly um, because there's not cartilage in -hmm. the bones. And and so um, we chose to carry her to term or as long as we could Mm -hmm. um, because there wasn't a way to fully diagnose until after. And so we kind of just chose to Continue on with the pregnancy mm-hmm. and just hope for the best and hope for a miracle. Honestly, when she was born, mm-hmm. um, and just get to enjoy the time we had with her in the womb. Um,
1: and was that a and- difficult decision? What kind of advice were you getting from your doctors or from other people about carrying <laughs> her?
0: Yeah, it was a difficult decision. Um, I would say the the general population was advising to terminate the pregnancy, um, and so and we were on that track. I mean, that was, Mm -hmm. it was a really difficult decision. It was trying to weigh out, you know, what we wanted and what was best for her and, um, what the chances were, which it's so hard to be able to tell any of that. Um, and we wanted to believe that things could change and that she could be healed, um, Mm -hmm. and wanted to give that chance too. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that was a, it was a very difficult decision. It was a lot. Um, but the, you know, it had to be made actually fairly quickly. It was turmoil for a couple of weeks, but just because of laws and mm-hmm. things like that, and um, we had to make the decisions pretty quickly. And so once we finally had a chance to get counsel from quite a few different doctors, and then we flew down to LA to Cedar sinai to see like one of the top specialists, the uh, fetal, um, specialist down there. And by the time we finally got the actual information that we wanted, cause she was misdiagnosed by a really jerky doctor mm. <laughs> at first, uh-huh. um, who was, completely, um, cold and had terrible bedside manner and, um, just told us the wrong things at first and, um, told us like right there that we should terminate and just was awful. And so we had to go out and seek other things. But, um, by the time we finally got the information we were hoping for, it was actually kind of past that point anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was kind of just another sign for us of just like, okay, we're just going to let, you know, let, let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um the nice thing that was comforting for us was that they don't think that babies in utero feel any pain. So that was a, for us, it was like, okay, she's really happy in there and Mm -hmm. she's healthy, not healthy, but, um, you know, is this is the best probably she's ever going to. Um, and there's a chance that she won't be born with what they think she has. Um, you know, or it could be a lesser form. Mm Um, and so when she was born though, she was, she came early and, um, it was, confirmed, mm-hmm. um, that she did have type two, which is the only fatal type. I think there's five or six different types. Um, and you can live, I mean, there's people that live with OI that have children of their own that grow up, you know, and, mm-hmm. and live a full and ha- happy life. And so mm-hmm. it was kind of this big spectrum that we just didn't know what to expect and that, she, you know, there, there could be a life for her if it was a lesser form and then obviously she could, um, pass away, they, they actually expected her to pass during birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ended up living for a little under 40 minutes, um, okay. which was good. And it was hard and, you know, it was good and hard at the same time. Sure. Um, we, it was good cause we felt like she got to see us and meet us and
1: mm-hmm.
0: we got to hold her and, um, say goodbye to her, which was nice. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a really tough, tough time <laughs> and Absolutely. a tough time afterwards. of course Absolutely. too. And it's still, we're still working through it. It's a lot. It's a big journey that I think will probably always continue, especially because of our oldest, who's six, is continuing to process Mm -hmm. as well. So it's kind of every day is a new day. Um, And it's a new kind of layer of healing, but then also processing, you know, even almost three years out.
1: Right. And I know I actually read um, your story on your blog around the same time I was doing my labor and delivery rotation yeah, in med school. So something that really stuck with me because I think it, at that time I had seen even just like laying in the labor and delivery unit, some flyers for a remembrance photography service mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. talking about how that can be helpful and parent helping parents. And, um, I, you know, you talked about how you had done that and how that yeah. had helped. And, and so I think it just gave me a lot better perspective, because I think it's not something that's often talked about. And probably it's not when, especially in medical school, when, when it, you know, one day, you're going to be that doctor who has to, you know, talk to your patients and help people go through the process. And yeah, it's something that like you say, it's one of those just death in general is something that people don't like to talk about, it makes them very uncomfortable. And so the more right. that, you know, we can hear those stories, and it becomes real, and you can really see you know, how people go through the process and how best to help them and support them through the process, I think is so important.
0: Yeah. And I think everybody's different, you know, obviously, I mean, I knew for my heart and just the way that I am built that I needed to kind of have like a full circle for me Mm -hmm. to actually be able to live my life. Mm -hmm. Um, the alternative obviously was going under and having the baby removed and never getting to see or touch i mean and at that point i mean when you're that far along that child has been moving in you it's like you, yeah. you it, they're very real and very alive and you've seen photos and um you've imagined your whole life with them obviously um and so that option to me was not really an option i just was like, how would I go on with my life just that just being gone and never having to process and, and complete that part. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think every, again, everybody's different. Some people probably don't want to enter into that pain. I mean, that was a very difficult thing to go into. Um, and for some might make it actually harder Mm because it can cause more attachment, but I wanted that attachment. I didn't want to just have her removed and gone Mm -hmm. from our life um, I wanted to be able to bury her and get to celebrate her short life and have something to remember her by and, um, getting to hold her. And the, the thing for us too, in, in the hospital is we had a really supportive group of doctors cause I never went back to that other doctor. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I still refuse to go into that office. Um, and, they were just really great. I mean, I remember especially the nurse, you know, just, I kept feeling like I was supposed to be giving her after she had passed. I felt mm-hmm. like I was supposed to be giving her to them to take away. And mm-hmm. she just kept saying, it's your baby. You do what you need to do. And mm-hmm. I ended up having her in the room with me for 12 hours, which I know for some people sounds really creepy and mm-hmm. weird, but it's not. <laughs> um, and, it was the time that I needed, you know, yeah. and I, I remember calling the nurse a few times to come and take her and then like canceling
1: Yeah, <laughs> and
0: just being like, I'm not ready. Um, and it was really cool too, just to see the, the response from some of the doctors and nurses. I think they don't get that way very often. The people that actually choose to go, I mean, I went through mm-hmm. labor and I delivered, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, it, it's definitely not the easier sure. way to go. Um, and I think it just showed the doctors and the nurses that you can honor that life you know even though it's not a life that would be long mm-hmm. um and we had a lot of people coming in that just said i mean i remember the head like ob came in and was just like you have impacted my entire floor of staff like wow. in this last couple of days which is really cool to hear um and um there was something else that i forget but yeah they had just encouraged i you mean know, i was in san francisco and they had like a full infant like palliative care um mm-hmm. Kind of things set up. They had somebody that came and talked to us about, you know, the burial and and birth. We got a, you know, there was something that was really important to me mm-hmm. was getting a birth certificate um, mm-hmm. because she lived, and so somebody that came and could counsel us on that. And mm-hmm. um, and then the photography thing, they offered it at the hospital, but there's this really great organization called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep mm-hmm. that is all um, nonprofit, and they do it all for like volunteer work, and it's typically photographers like wedding photographers and mm-hmm. family photographers that just donate their time um and they're so selfless and again like that's not an easy situation to put yourself in no. especially if it's not your family but to be in a room where somebody's losing a child is a tough tough place to be um mm-hmm. and they let them you know they volunteer themselves to be in that position and to try to help a family um and to experience the heaviness Mm -hmm. that comes with that. Um, but they do it out of, you know, just them being super giving, which is awesome. Um, and those pictures, I mean, we don't, I don't say we look at them a lot, Mm -hmm. um, but it's nice to have them when we want to look at them, Mm um, just to remember because those moments go by so fast and there's so many emotions in them that you forget. I mean, even with a healthy birth, you forget, Almost everything that happens (laughs) just so quick, you know. And so, with that, it's like you, there's just, it's all such a blur. And so, to have somebody there that is taking photos that you can have those as a memory for that short time that you're together is really, really special. And I went back and forth. I almost didn't do it because I was like, I don't want a stranger in the room. It's Mm -hmm. just really awkward. And I also don't know if I want these photos, you know. But then it was like, I can look at them if I want to. And we haven't really shared very many of them. It's something that we kind of just keep Mm -hmm. to ourselves. But it was really nice to have a photo of her to show to my son. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I think too, I had this fear that she would look, you know, really scary or something and Mm -hmm. she was beautiful. And it was just so nice to be able to remember her and to get to show him and maybe show my youngest later, you know, that this is their sister and they have something that's tangible to be able to look at. And, um, it was really great to have them, and that yeah, that organization I think is amazing, um, just the work that they do to help families and it's definitely all part of the healing and grieving process for sure
1: that's amazing, yeah, um, I read also, as you were then talking about on your blog, um, going through your following pregnancy with your son, yeah, and the line that really stuck out to me was talking about this decision to either live in fear or live in faith, and I just thought mm-hmm. that was so beautiful and. I would love for you to just talk more about that and what that means to you and how you decided to live in faith.
0: Yeah, it was a decision I had to make every single day,
1: honestly, waking <laughs> up seriously um, and still have
0: to make, because when you've lost a child and you've been through such a traumatic experience, it causes you to have irrational fears about lots of other things, too, and um, and it was just something that I realized kind of early on that I needed to consciously decide because otherwise my pregnancy was just going to be a. I mean, the first the first like ten weeks until we got like our we could go in early and get an ultrasound mm-hmm. to confirm that the you know my son didn't have the same genetic disorder. And my husband and I both had genetic testing done, and we came back completely clear. I mean, none of it, neither one of us were carriers. It mm-hmm. was just a super fluke occurrence, which wasn't really, couldn't I mean, it was kind of comforting, but also not at the same time. Right. because It was like, well, great. Well, something like this could just happen again. Um, and so you do live with this fear. I mean, I know a lot of women who don't have kids after because they're just so scared that something else is going to happen again mm-hmm. and they can't, one more thing would just do them in. Um, and so it was just kind of this decision where I felt like I had to just trust the Lord that things were going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, or that if they weren't, that they were going to, you know, play out, in a way that would at least be glorifying to him and then to that child's life like it was mm-hmm. with her and um, that I would be okay, you know, no matter what happened because I had my oldest son and my husband and mm-hmm. um, and that it was what was supposed to happen. So it was just kind of this, this place that I had to enter into of just like, okay, I don't have control over this anyways. And mm-hmm. so I have this pregnancy and this baby, and there's not really anything I can do to prevent anything or to cure anything if something were to come up. And so I just have to walk every day, not being in fear, but just believing that things are going to be okay, or at least the way that they're supposed to be, Mm -hmm. Um, which was tough. And it was every single morning. I mean, it was like, I went through so many times where, you know, I I think every pregnant woman does it, but it's just amplified, (laughs) like, 50 times when you've been through something so traumatic, but mm-hmm. if I didn't have symptoms one day, you know, I'd freak out that something was wrong. Or if I didn't have, you know, it didn't, when the, you could start feeling the baby move, if it, it was like an hour went by that I hadn't felt him, you know, I mm-hmm. would freak out. And, and so, um, I just was like, I can't live this way for the rest of this time. I'm going to be complete like anxiety mm-hmm. basket case. And I'm not going to be present for my family that's here if I'm constantly worried. And, um, so yeah, it was just kind of a decision that I had to just make every day. And then it was one that even afterwards, I think after was actually almost worse than during the pregnancy Mm -hmm. of just worrying. I mean, every new parent always freaks out, you know, when the baby's like making noises in their crib and they run in and make sure they're still breathing. (laughs) But it's like, again, amplified a hundred times over when something's already happened to you. And so, there were so many times where I convinced myself that, you know, he had died in his sleep and I'd have to go in and reassure myself that he was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but that I was like, I can't, I mean, I wasn't sleeping and I was just a mess for the first couple of months. And I was like, I can't live this way. And I just have to let go. Um, because there's nothing I can do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was a better place to be in. (laughs) It was a lot more, just a little bit, yeah, a lot less anxiety ridden. Um, and then just, it's nice to have something that you can trust. I mean, I, I always say, I don't, I wouldn't have been able to get through Mm
1: -hmm.
0: my daughter's loss without my faith. Um, at all. I just don't know how people can do it. I just don't know where you would rely Mm -hmm. or who you would rely on and how you would get up every day, um, to not have something to believe in. I think for me, especially for me, especially believing that I'd see her again one day was kind of the thing for me that got me up every day. And if I didn't have that to believe in, that I would eventually be with her in heaven that I don't think I would have continued on, honestly. Um, cause there was nothing, there was nothing to look forward to if that wasn't true.
1: Wow. That's beautiful. And I know you have on your website places where people can donate in her name. Yeah. Um, wh- how can they do that or where can they go? Gosh, <laughs> I think they're <laughs> all still set up. I mean,
0: it, it automatically goes. We set it up when, when we first, when I first wrote about her story and there were a few organizations. Mm-hmm. So it was the um, photography company. That was one that I really mm-hmm. wanted people to donate to if they wanted to help um, because those photographers are all, you know, um, volunteer basis, but the organization has to run. So um, I just love their mission. So, so that's on there. It's on, it's all on my website under her story. And then um, we just were so grateful to the staff at the hospital we were mm-hmm. at. Um, and so they're, unit there that takes care of families who have lost children, whether it's stillborns or um, genetic, you know, or like, or infant loss. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there was, there's something to donate there. And then the um, OI Foundation as well, which is the Osteogenesis Imperfective Foundation, um, which just does research for, you know, well, they're researching for cures, but Mm -hmm. um, just, it's a great organization. It's where we found a lot of information while we were researching. And then the people that are, in that community are just so kind. Um, when we first I had first announced that they thought she had it when I was still pregnant and we just had this overwhelming support of people from that community, write to yeah. us and share their stories and share photos of their kids that were, you know, living mm-hmm. a happy life. And, um, it was just really encouraging and they were really supportive. And, um, I think to just bring awareness to that disease, I think so many people are not familiar with it. It's very rare, but, mm-hmm. um, to bring awareness more to the people that are living with it and, um, the treatments that they have to do. And, um, so there's a place to donate to them as well.
1: Amazing. Well, I thank you so much for talking about both of those things, because I think obviously it's very difficult, but, um, I think like you said, so many people learn a lot and can really connect with your story. And I think one of the themes too, between, like across your life is just really advocating for yourself and mm. in healthcare because, like, oftentimes you said, like the first doctor you meet or the first place that you go might not give you the best advice for you in particular.
0: Right. Um,
1: so, what advice do you give other people with regard to that and advocating for their own health and then being kind of helping to find their own optimal treatment for their unique situation?
0: Yeah. Um, that was something we had to learn really very early on. My husband Mm -hmm. actually kind of was the one that first realized it. And he used to say like, you have to manage your doctors. (laughs) Um, (laughs) we'd go into doctors that, I mean, they just are busy and they see so many people and we'd go in that like, they wouldn't even remember, you know, what I was in for like the month before the symptoms or, you know, we'd go over things again and again that they'd already been over or they wouldn't run tests that we wanted them to. And Mm -hmm. I think there's a, you know, obviously they are the experts. Um, and so there's a line that you have to be careful of, but I think to ask for things in, you know, and to be your own advocate is huge. Um, and to not necessarily just, agree to something right then and there. I mean, there were a lot of times where we said like, we need to go home and think about this and we need to go and research it and read about it and try to decide what will be best for me and for our family. And and we'll get back to you on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, obviously if you're in like a very dire situation, I mean, there were times where I had to get like blood transfusions, for instance, we had to decide right then and there. Um, But the times that we did have where I could say, like, I need to go and look at this treatment. I need to go and look at this medication before I just start taking it blindly. I need to go and look at what this procedure means. Um, Obviously, with her, you know, the doctor that was a jerk that just was expecting us to decide right then and there. It was like, this is a life that we're deciding about and Mm -hmm. that shouldn't really even be our decision. Um, and we need to go home and think about this for a while and then Mm -hmm. come back to you type of a thing. Um, and honestly for us, like with that, with that particular situation, he didn't even give us the option of having a birth. Mm -hmm. Um, and he didn't even give us the option of that. It was like the only option was to terminate with him. And then we saw another doctor who said that like, I could actually deliver and, Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, to even just have those options, I mean, whatever one you choose, whatever's best for you to have an option is huge Um, to feel like you're being forced into only one decision that really then is not your decision um, is a a difficult place to be in. And then you don't get to try to figure out what will be best for your future and Mm -hmm. for your, you know, your living child or your husband's. And I think Mm -hmm. that is the same across the board for, for both, you know, your own health and then something like that. Um, but yeah, I do, I think being your own advocate is huge. I think knowing yourself and knowing your family, um, you know, for me knowing like what I could put up with and what I couldn't Mm -hmm. and what would affect me and like what, how much I could deal with was huge. Um, obviously there's like the financial side of things too, that you have to look into. But yeah, I think going in researched, I think is another thing. I mean, obviously you're not going to be to the level of somebody studying it, but at least not going in and just, you know, saying you don't want to do something, but not having anything to back it up, I mm-hmm. think is, it can probably be frustrating for doctors as well. Um, I think it's good to come in with some sort of information and come mm-hmm. in with your questions too, yeah. you know, don't come in and think like acting like, you know, everything, but that you're wanting to learn and you're wanting to do what's best for you. And then mm-hmm. also what's best for them. And, um, but I do, I think, I think there's a lack of questioning stuff in the medical world where people just take the prescriptions and they get the surgeries and Mm -hmm. they do things just because they're told to, and they don't question it. Um, for instance, I know I have so many followers who have had, um, the like surgery Mm -hmm. to remove portion of their colons for, you know, you see or Crohn's, Mm -hmm. um, that have had like bowel resections and they're not healthy afterwards. Um, and they come to me and they're just like, I cannot believe I had that surgery after I changed my diet. I finally started feeling better. And I wish that I would have known, you know, back then, which uh, of course this, you know, movement is still somewhat new. So right. some of those people had the surgery 20 years ago, but all that to say is that if they would have explored other options, there could have been an alternative. I mean, it's not always the case, you know, right. you know, sometimes it results in that and that's what needs to happen. But for me, I, like I said, I was signed up for the Remicade and I was about to do surgery, but it was the diet thing for me was like almost the last resort. I was mm-hmm. like, well, it doesn't hurt to give this 30 days
1: right? and
0: see if this helps. And then if this doesn't work, then we'll look at those, you know, kind of harsher options. Um, so I think exploring all avenues before you jump into something really serious is, is kind of a, I mean, it, yeah, it's definitely a benefit to you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah. that partnership is so important between doctor and the patients and being able to work together. Cause obviously you as a patient, you are the expert on your own body. The doctor might be the expert in that specific condition or area, but right. like they don't know each individual person. And then yeah. Also, like you say, you really have a lot of control over, it's easy to just take the medication, well, not easy, but you can just take the medication yeah. and the surgery. But there's also so many things that you can do that you have control over, even though they're difficult, like changing right. your diet. But like you said, it's so low risk. There's really virtually nothing yeah, bad that can happen from trying it. You, may, right. you know, maybe you learn it doesn't help and then maybe you move on, but um, I totally agree i think it's worth at least trying and seeing how your body responds and using that as more evidence and more knowledge for how to move forward
0: yeah i think that's the one thing that i go back to a lot that i tell people and i think there's people don't listen to their own bodies and I didn't for a long time like mm-hmm. when I was on the specific carbohydrate diet I was eating things that it said to eat in that book because it said to eat them mm-hmm. but I wasn't watching and realizing that they were actually causing me more symptoms mm-hmm. uh, because the book said to do it and I think it's really similar to with doctors and things it's like if somebody tells you to do it then you're just going to do it and right. sometimes you have blinders on that you're not noticing you know the correlation of things that you're doing in your body and even with like now I've come to know my body so well that if I start a new supplement and I feel off like I'm able to you know through elimination and going off of things mm-hmm. and then going back on things I'm able to watch and it's a process and I think that's what people don't like about it and medication can be a really super quick right. you know fix where you take it and it might help obviously then it can cause side effects and things but it's a it's definitely a lot more work to try to change your diet or to try to do elimination type stuff and really watch, you know, how each and everything that you're doing, Mm -hmm. um, is affecting your health. And so I think it's not as quick of a fix, which is why it's not as always appealing to people. But I think in the end, once you get to that point, then you realize kind of where your happy place is. Right. And then you can kind of sit in that. Um, it's a lot of work to get there, but then it's worth it. I think, you know, in the
1: end. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, well, I'm going to close with three questions I ask everyone, and then a couple of questions about your book, Celebrations. Yeah. Um, So the first one is three things that you do on a regular basis that you think have the biggest positive impact on your health.
0: Oh, gosh. I'm so bad about, (laughs) well, so I mean, well, eat, I mean, honestly, the diet is the biggest thing, I think.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, I, I try to take walks mm-hmm. and then I try to exercise those would be the three things I'd say but I'm really bad at the last two I'm just <laughs> terrible at it um I guess cooking though too it's like super therapeutic therapeutic for Absolutely. me so those would be the things that I would do yeah I but I it. think for sure I need to spend more time with for myself <laughs> and taking care of myself
1: <laughs> sure that's difficult and I bet also coming off this tour that's you know obviously yeah. a time where it's difficult to put yourself first, but. Are there certain yes. things that you do to help yourself stay balanced when you're traveling like that or to keep your nutrition on track when you're on the road?
0: Yeah, I try to bring snacks, mm-hmm. um, like just things that I know I can pop, you know, in as I can. Um, I tried to bring, um, I try to bring liver, those like epic liver snacks, just so mm-hmm. I know I'm at least yeah. getting some like nutrient dense stuff in cause I don't eat as well on the road. Um, this last tour, I actually scheduled massages along the way,
1: Oh, that's great.
0: um, which was, yeah, it was actually really good for me. And then the last one I was like trying to sightsee and go out and eat at all the good restaurants. Mm -hmm. And this time around, I was like, I just have to go to my events and then just kind of shut down, Mm -hmm. um, go take a nap if I need to go get a massage, like just do things that I can just kind of unwind Mm -hmm. and decompress. So that I think was actually really helpful. And then when I'd be home, I was just really intentional about spending really quality time with my kids and kind of, again, like, sleeping and getting massages, things like that, just to try to take care of my body um, and try to de-stress after all the tr- plane travel and, and things like that. But yeah, those would probably mm-hmm. be the things that I think helped the most.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. What about one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it?
0: Oh, ex- well, not exercise necessarily. Um, probably just more quite quiet time and mindfulness Mm. time, I think would probably be a big thing if I spent just more time kind of in silence and just laying still. (laughs) Um, my, my functional medicine doctor has been trying to get me to, to practice like mindfulness and meditation kind of type stuff for like a year. And I am just,
1: it's hard my
0: brain it's so hard my brain just never stops and I'm always thinking (laughs) things I could be doing but I do think probably spending more time kind of just like quiet and not thinking about all the things that I need to do or Mm -hmm. the things I need to do for the kids or the things that I need to do for work or you know things like that would be good just to like check out um and I don't do enough of that um exercise I would love to say but I actually if I exercise too heavily I notice that I will start to flare up I Mm -hmm. think I, for I mean, autoimmune diseases can be flared by stress. And I think yep. physical stress for me can actually just cause it. But taking like walks and doing mm-hmm. yoga, I would love to make more time for. I always talk myself out of it. I'm always like, oh, I have something better or not better, but like, I need to do this. yeah. If I go out for a walk, then it's going to take an hour. Then I need to take a shower. Then I'm going to, you know, and it's like just this. I always talk myself out of it. So I'm really bad about that. And I'm going to try starting actually Well, now that I'm home. That's like my goal mm-hmm. is to try to be a little bit more diligent about that.
1: Awesome. Last of my three questions is what does a healthy life look like to you?
0: Oh, um, I balance. Mm -hmm. Um, well, eating, eating well, first of all, um, Mm -hmm. for me is huge. Um, but I would say balance between work and my kids and my family, um, just setting my priorities that when I'm done in the office that I'm done, Mm -hmm. um, or that I work for myself, which I'm really fortunate to be able to do that. I don't have to let my work rule me. And if I want to take, you know, my son out of school for a half day and go do something fun, I can Mm -hmm. do that. Or if I want to, you know, stop what I'm doing and go and pick him up from school, then like when he's out at the end of the day, you know, I can do that Mm -hmm. or I don't know, just things like that. I think sometimes I talk myself into like, oh, no, I need to be focused right now because it's work hours. But right. to balance that, I realize that, you know, to be happy and have like a healthy balance of life, I need to make sure that the other things are a priority too.
1: Absolutely. I love that. Um, final couple questions about your book. So yeah. this book, obviously, it's called Celebrations. Can you just tell us a little bit about why you wrote it and how you hope people would yeah. use it?
0: Yeah, so that's my third book, um, and it's one that I've actually been wanting to write kind of since the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm a I, major holiday fan. <laughs> um, I grew up with a mom who, like, every single holiday was just decked out in our house. Yeah. Um, but mostly, the foods from those holidays were things that I really held dear. My grandma just had so many different traditions and things like that for all the holidays and. Um, I kind of touched briefly on it, but a lot of the reason why I had a hard time committing at first was just a mental barrier of feeling like I was going to miss out on life Mm -hmm. and that I wouldn't be able to entertain or host parties or that I couldn't go to people's houses um, or that I'd be missing out on a lot of those like special Christmas traditions and Thanksgiving things that I really held dear. Mm -hmm. um, And I wasn't ready to let go of those. And so that's kind of celebrations is kind of all about that. It's actually 12 holidays. So it's everything from like New Year's to Mother's Day and baby showers, bridal showers hours. Um, and then the big ones, you know, Halloween, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Right. Um, and it's just 125 recipes that are just all recreations of all my family, like favorites. So tons of recipes from my great grandma and my grandma that I converted to be grain free and dairy free and um, recipes that people that follow my blog have been asking for that they really, you know, wanted to still yeah. be able to incorporate into mm-hmm. their traditions and their family's life um, and help make kind of that Sustainable, well, make the lifestyle more sustainable. Because mm-hmm. I think it's really the times that people kind of go off of it is when they're, you know, visiting family or they're celebrating and there's other things around to eat and they're like, oh, just this once, you know, and for me, that's not really an option. Like I can't just this once have a regular piece of pie because the Mm -hmm. gluten in it would make me just so sick, you know, or which trigger an autoimmune response. And, um, so I wanted to be able to create those things for people to still be able to enjoy. Um, and especially families who have children that need to eat this way. I mean, the thing that breaks my heart the most when people come to my book signings with nine-year-olds who have Crohn's disease Mm -hmm. and 10-year-olds who are dealing with, rheumatoid arthritis and like mm. just little kids who shouldn't be having to suffer from these diseases, but then also who probably are having a really hard time feeling like they're left out and they're not like yeah. their friends can't eat the same foods, and so I want them to be able to take a cookie or a piece of cake or a cupcake, you know, things that look like their normal food, um, and still be able to enjoy them, but not have it hurt their bodies like it did for mine. So that's kind of what it's about: celebrating and and getting to enjoy really good traditional food, but not sacrificing your health in the meantime. <laughs>
1: Awesome. And people can check it out. I know it's at Costco because that's where my mom got it, but where else can people find it or follow you or find out what you're up to in the future? Yeah. So I'm at Against All Grain at
0: everything, um, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and um, everything else. Um, And then my blog's againstallgrain.com. And um, the book is, yeah, it's at Costco. Um, It's only there for a limited time. As soon as it's sold out, it's gone, but it's only 19 bucks at Costco. So. Um, I tell everybody to go get it there because it's like 35 <laughs> elsewhere, some places. Um, Amazon, Target, um, Sam's Club, BJ's. You can pretty much get it. Barnes & Noble, of course. Um, mm-hmm. You can get it anywhere. Books are sold. So, awesome. yeah, grab a copy. It'll be great for the Christmas season. And then, of course, you know, there's there's a holiday every month. I tell people, and like, yep. when I started writing it, I didn't realize how many times a year I was actually feeling kind of left out um, and feeling a little bit ostracized. I'm like, once a month is actually quite a lot, um, to feel like you can't participate, you know, in family traditions and things like that. So it's something that you can use all year round. And a lot of the recipes, honestly, you can make just for a weeknight meal. I mean, you don't have to make like the full six course, you know, that's separated out for Christmas, (laughs) but you can make that thing from that and make a dinner out of it. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's something you can use, I think, in your kitchens all year round.
1: Awesome. Any parting words of advice for listeners for this holiday season?
0: Uh, I think don't sacrifice your health for the food. I think try to make, you know, the alternatives. Um, I don't think it's worth it. I went through a couple of years where I would every, you know, Thanksgiving. It was like my start to just not eating well. And by January, I wasn't just trying to make New Year's resolutions, but I was like fighting for my life and my health because of the bad decisions I made. So I think listen to your body and, and realize that, you know, there's another way to do it and you don't have to just eat that food just because everybody else is. Um, and you don't have to sacrifice your health to have happiness during the holidays.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I really, really appreciate all of your courage and the fact that you really have blazed this trail for so many other people. So thank, thank you. you again for sharing your story and help you have a very happy holiday season.
0: Thank you. You too. Enjoy your family.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I was absolutely blown away by Danielle and her story, just how much she's endured and how she is so positive and willing to share her own struggle and heartbreak for the sake of helping others in a similar situation. Her choice to live in faith instead of living in fear is one that will definitely stick with me. I also want to remind you about the new subscription program launching this week from Pure Pharma, one of my longtime sponsors. I love this program because it allows you to choose which of their products you use from protein powder to fish oil to probiotics and how much and how frequently you'd like them shipped. So You never have to miss a dose. These are the cleanest products i found on the market and I've been using them for years. They're offering a 20% discount on your first month and a loyalty program that's customized by me to all of my followers, which you can take advantage of by visiting www.purepharma.com forward slash share forward slash Julie. So check it out. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouche.com, where you can subscribe to my email list. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please email me at info at i I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on the podcast in future episodes. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget you can train with me by visiting beyondthewhiteboard.com slash juliefouché. I always love hearing your feedback, so please leave comments under this post on my website, juliefoucher.com, and share your thoughts on social media with the hashtag JFHealth. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health.